I pray that we can live our lives as those that have been set free by you, Jesus. That we can learn what this life means. Holy Spirit, bring, bring clarity to our minds and our hearts and our souls. The, the more we get to know our Jesus, the more we get to be free. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, good morning. It looks pretty empty with other kids and quiet. So we are on the final Sunday of the sermon series, Learning the Way. And we all base, we base this sermon series mostly in one phrase that Jesus said, that is, I am the, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. So today is about Jesus. Am I on? So today is about Jesus being the life. Jesus, the life. <laughs> but what, what does Jesus, the life, mean? What, when we talk to people, if we do, I, I'm going to assume that we all do, we talk to people about Jesus and we talk about a life in Jesus. What is that life looking like? When you invite somebody to be part of um, your faith community, when you invite somebody to become part of God's family, what does that look like? What is that life about? For example, when the first time that I hear about this was when I was a kid, I read one of my mom's um, personal diaries. I was 10, so I, well, not some Latino. We have no sense of privacy. So hopefully our kids, <laughs> Danny, right? Our kids know that, that even parents, we have no sense of privacy or personal space. And so I read my mom's personal diary, and, and a part of that, she was talking, so our family was going through a lot of struggles, financially, personally, it was a disaster. And one of my mom's friends invited her to church, and she said, if you come to church, your life will change. You will get a new life. When I decided to become a follower of Christ, I had a lot of questions, and what it was told to me, if you come to church, if you get to know Christ, all your answers, all your questions will be answered. My best friend, Leah, and one of my best friends from um, college, he was deep in addictions, and for him, when, what he was told is that if you come to church, if you get to know Christ, your new life will be a life out of addictions. You will not get drunk on alcohol anymore. You'll be drunk with the Holy Spirit. To one of my other closest friends, Mika, she was a single mom when she was 19. Uh, she came from a very conservative family, and they dishonored her. So for her, coming back to Christ or going to church meant, the new life meant you will be redeemed and your family will welcome you. So I guess... The question that I, that I have is, that's it? Is that a new life in Christ? You know, it's like uh, your family problems will be solved. Um, you're out of addictions. That's it. That, that, that's it. It's, it's that simple. Or another, like a more general statement, new life in Christ is, well, if you come to Christ, you will not go to hell. You, you will go to heaven. Okay. What, what else? 
That's it. Is that a new life in Christ that I will not, that I will go to heaven? For other people is, uh, you know, this new life it means to commit to a lot of um, different rules that comes with depending on the denomination and the context that you're part of, and you have to follow them. And that's the new life in Christ. You have to live this way. That's it. It's like we just follow rules and, and we go through the motion. That, is, that, is that a new life? Like in Jesus' three-year ministry, what did it mean for people to, to find new life in Jesus? Was, you know, that if you're sick, you're healed, that's it, that's a new life? From now on, your life is different? Or uh, if, you, if you were dead, you come back to life and get of Lazarus and, and that's it, this is the new life in Christ? It's, what, what does it mean that you, you have a new life in Jesus. Because it, it, most of the times, what it, what it marks a new life in Jesus for us is pretty much we're, we're presenting it like it's a dent in your life. It's something that happens to you that from there, it's like you're walking and somebody just kick you in the butt and just sent you in the right direction. Is that, is that the new life that Jesus was bringing? What, what is this, why, why is this life different than what other um, worldviews are presenting to us? What is, what is Jesus bringing to the table? What does it mean saying, I am the, the, new, the new life? And for, for conversations that I had throughout my life, there are three things that people look in their lives. Safety, belonging, and mothering. Everything we do in life, every decision we make, everything we want to achieve falls within these three categories. We do this, or we try to live this life to be safe. We want to belong, we want to be part of something, we want to matter. This is and for the majority of sociologists and psychologists around the world, with a margin of error, the three main things that every human being looks to achieve in their life, to be safe, to matter, to belong somewhere. So, how does Jesus' new life play into this? When, when, we, when we invite somebody, when we become part of, of this new life that Jesus offers, how does that change for us? Does our life change? Is it something that changes? It's just an, in the realm of the spiritual that everything changes? Is there a physical change? Is there a material change that we experience? What do we experience? Now, I want to pay, you to pay attention to this passage that I'm going to read because I haven't found a better example of what the new life in Christ means than in this passage that I'm going to read to you now. It's a story of Philip and the eunuch. You're pretty much familiar with this one. And it goes like this. Later, later God's angel spoke to Philip. At noon today, I want you to walk over to the desolate road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He got up and went. 
and he met an Ethiopian eunuch coming down the road. The eunuch has been on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and was returning to Ethiopia, where he was minister in charge of all the finances of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was riding in a chariot and reading the prophet Isaiah. The spirit told Philip, climb into the chariot. Running up alongside, Philip heard the eunuch reading Isaiah and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he asked, how can I without some help? He invited Philip into the chariot with him. The passage he was reading was this, as a sheep led to slaughter, a quiet and quiet as a lamb being sh shared, he was silent, saying nothing. He was mocked and put down, never got a fair trial, but who now can I count his kin since he's been taken from this earth? The eunuch said, tell me, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or some other? Philip grabbed his chance. Using the passage as his text, he preached Jesus to him. As they continued down the road, they came to a stream of water. And the eunuch said, here's water. Why, can I be, why can't I be baptized? He ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down to the water, and Philip baptized him on the spot. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of God suddenly took Philip off. And that was the last the eunuch saw of him, but he didn't mind. He had what he came for and went down the road as happy as he could. He had what he came for and went down the road as happy as he could be. This story is extremely, extremely powerful. There are two characters here. One is Philip. Philip was one of the um, deacons that was chosen um, early in the church. He was not Philip the disciple. He was a deacon. And he's also known as the evangelist. Throughout history, he's been in different places and preached God's gospel. But the most important character here in the story is the eunuch. Because the eunuch is, is the perfect poster child for every reason that somebody is marginalized in the world. The eunuch was a foreigner, he had sexuality issues, and he had social status problem. In the eunuch, in one person, these three things were reunited. So it says that the eunuch was doing the pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship. But according to the, the Jewish laws, and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, because the eunuch was mutilated, he was not allowed to be close to the temple. And these same laws did not allow him to be with the community that was worshiping. So he was worshiping God from the distance. The eunuch was not a man anymore because his manhood was taken. He was a foreigner. He was in Ethiopia. It doesn't say that he was a Jewish person. And like every foreigner, 
the locals sometimes have, they want to be careful. And somebody else, something else, he was a slave. He was not free, but also he was a high-class slave. Because the eunuch was serving also in a position of authority. So he could not hang with the free people because he was slave. But for the regular slaves, they didn't want him either because he was enjoying a lot of privilege. So he was as marginalized as he could be. All the three main points that through history people have been marginalized were reunited in this eunuch. Nevertheless, knowing all this, the eunuch was looking for something. Because in the passage that we just read, says he got what he came for. So what it was happening is that worship area was in that place in Jerusalem, but God was working somewhere else. You get what I'm saying? Are you with me? So according to the laws, he could not worship. But God met him. He was looking for something, and God found him. God ran for the Ethiopian. God had a plan, and it was like a hunter just waiting for the Ethiopian to arrive, and the angel told Philip, go. And then Philip ran alongside. So Philip running alongside the chariot means that God was running for the Ethiopian. This person that was not allowed to be even close to the place of worship. The God that was supposed to be worshipped met him. He was not allowed to reach out to that God, but God reached out to him. What's going on here? The world was telling the Ethiopian, you're out. But God was saying, you are in. And he was as happy as he could be. And the Ethiopian made this public statement that shouts to the world, I belong. I matter. I'm safe. He got baptized. He made this public statement that told the world that he was part of something bigger than what he was actually looking for. The world said you're out, but God said you are in. Are you getting an idea what the good news are about? Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through, the, through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. So this passage is talking about Adam. Sin came to the world through one man, and because of that man, we're all doomed. But then continue in Romans. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free gift in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abundant for the many. So what it's saying, let me just show you some images. This is Genesis, this is creation. 
And scripture says that God says it was good. But then Adam showed up, and through one man, the world was doomed. Without drinking or eating it, I don't know if that's an expression here. Sin comerla y sin beberla? Running? Is that an expression here? Nope, it's not an expression here. <laughs> well, with no fault whatsoever, we were all done because of that guy. We did not choose it. It was involuntarily. But we were done. But then what scripture says? That Jesus came. And Jesus is bigger than Adam. So if one man had the power to just doom everybody, then Jesus, being bigger than this man, has the power to undoom everybody. It's not saying Adam doomed the world and Jesus justifies some. It's saying that we, Jesus is bigger than Adam. So you have creation, you have Adam's world, and I just made the, the, the third world a little bit bigger. Can I like to show you that Jesus is bigger than Adam? So if Adam condemned everybody, Jesus began, being bigger than Adam justified everybody. Does that make sense? Are you with me? You got it, Nick? Jesus is bigger than Adam. It will not make sense, mathematically, that Adam condemned a world and Jesus can only save a few, can only justify a few. If this guy condemned everybody, this one that is bigger embraced everybody even more. Before I get to that, it's like saying, and this is the way that was presented to me, Jesus loves you, repent, be baptized, you're safe. It's a whole process. And in that process, the question is like, oh, what happened if I don't? So I, I, I just, I, I go straight to hell. But the way that was liberating to me was when I heard years later, Jesus love you. You are saved. Repent. Be baptized. Which one of those two sound more like good news to you? Which one of those two sounds like a gift to you? Because justification of Jesus is a gift. Therefore, you didn't do anything to get it. It was given to you way before. So when the world was saying, you are out, God is saying, you are in. Let me just put it, let me just give you this example. Galatians says that we are adopted, right? So through Jesus, we are all adopted as children of God. So as a parent of two adopted kids, it makes a lot of sense to me. Because we knew about Kin and Sashin way, way before we adopted them. And they had no idea who we were. 
They didn't even know we existed. They were in an orphanage. Kin and Sashin were Kin Apesena and Sashin Apesena even before they knew how to pronounce our last name. They were Kin Apesena and Sashin Apesena even before they have seen us. They were Kin Apesena and Sashin Apesena even before they can say yes to be part of our family. They did not have a choice on it. They were part of our family. They met us one day and they say, you know what? So actually, these are your parents. You, you belong to them. They have embraced you. They didn't get to say no. But at some point in their life, if they want to, they can opt out of our family. But whether they like it or not, until they are 18 and can sustain by themselves and live under our roof, they are part of our household. They are apesenas. They were our children even before they accepted to be our children. They were our family even before they accepted to be our family. We loved them way before they even knew we existed. And one day they realized they were part of a family that they didn't choose to be part of. When we are adopted by God, it's kind of like that. God loves you before you know God. You belong to God before you choose to belong to God. Jesus justify you already. Your decision is not to opt in. Your decision is to opt out. The difference is when Cain realized that he was part of our family, and after living uh, over a month with us, he realized that he cannot keep living in the same way and making the same decisions that he was making before he realized that he was our son. Once he realized that he belonged to us, once he realized that we loved him, once he realized that he mattered, that he belonged, that he was safe, he need to, needed to make a decision to live according to the rules of the parents that love him. So the good news will sound like this. You belong to God. You are in. Now, are you choosing to live according to that adoption that you receive through Christ? And that is grace. That is a gift. And divine grace cannot be limited because this grace uh, limiting this grace will mean to limit the divine. Divine grace cannot be limited, limited. For to limit this grace will be to limit the divine. This unlimited generosity is something that many of us find problematic. And I'm reading, the, reading this because I want you to pay attention to this. This unlimited generosity is something that many of us find problematic. We are quite happy when we are saved, but we are less happy when this salvation is extended to people we dislike. Are you familiar with that? Have you ever gone to church and say like, this person comes to church? Especially when our dislikes is boosted for good reasons. But it's a divine gift that cannot be limited. We cannot 
limit God. The good news to the world is you are in. The good news that the Ethiopian God was that you were excluded. But let me tell you, you, you are in. You belong to God. You are safe. You matter. This is the good news. This is the new life in Christ. The new life in Christ, it might bring some changes to the way you live. Because you realize you're part of something. You belong to somebody. But the new life in Christ means realizing this. You matter. You belong. And you are safe. Now, if you haven't been baptized, hey, I invite you to that conversation because this is one of the greatest public statements that we can make to show the world that we belong and share those good news. The good news is that one man condemned us all, but one greater one justified us all. And in the same way that God was at work with the Ethiopian, in the same way that God ran for the Ethiopian, God ran for you to tell you, you are in, you are welcome. I love you. You belong. You matter. There are no greater news than this. Because when we realize that, the person you dislike matters. The person you dislike belongs. The person you dislike is safe with you. You realize how great God is that acts even beyond your own limitations. Let me pray. God, you're at work today as you work back then. As you were at work back then. Let us hear those words clearly. Jesus loves you. Jesus save us. Let's repent. Let's get baptized. We're in. We're embraced. The difference between a regular person in the world and the churchgoers is that we know that we belong. We know that we're in. So God, give us the grace and the joy to share this good news. To tell people that they belong. To tell people that they matter. To tell people that they are safe. To tell people that you are greater than the limitations we put upon them. Holy Spirit, set us free of the shackles that make us limited ourselves and limit in others your divine work. Make us liberators. And set us free from the pressures and to know you have done it. And that our reaction should be to leave us your children. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen.